Nehemiah chapter 5 is where we're going to read in a series that is called the Leadership Challenge. This has been Pentecost week, and I am praying that Pentecost realities are going to happen today with us. But if you would stand to your feet wherever you're at, if you're physically able, I'd appreciate it. If you're joining us online, super glad that you are, and you can put some chat ideas and thoughts and prayers in there if you want to. Before we're done, we're going to pray for sick people and others. But I'm going to read you from Nehemiah chapter 5. We're going to cover this whole chapter But up until this point, the walls of Jerusalem had been getting built by Nehemiah and his band of of followers. And the walls are about halfway full. And we come to verse 1. It's about halfway built. It says in verse 1, Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against the Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers and our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. Verse 6 says, I was very angry when I heard the outcry of these words. I was very angry. Now let's pray. God, I ask for your help to preach this word in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Let's talk about culture just for a little bit. I married into a different culture. I married a Puerto Rican, which meant when... I went deeper into my relationship with Ruthie, I discovered more and more about the fact that there were cultures very different than my culture that I was not really aware of, because that's how culture works. You tend to not be aware of your own culture. It's like a fish in water. Water feels normal if you're a fish. And if you're an American, certain things feel normal as an American. But when I married a, or when I started pursuing and courting a Puerto Rican, I ended up discovering that I was not just pursuing her. If I was going to ever get her, I was pursuing her whole family and her whole church and every leader and the pastor and the associate pastor and the youth pastor and, and her, her youth leaders and the missionaries. And I, and I realized that I was being scrutinized by everyone that there was that spoke Spanish, it seemed like, in the city of Gainesville. And I, I learned early on that the customs of eating and drinking and speaking and joking and laughing were very different. It was a very different culture from the culture that I was in. And it really sort of begged the question, was I sure that I wanted her? Because if I was going to get her, in some ways, I was also taking on this, this culture. In fact, I sometimes would call it Spanish culture, but it wasn't Spanish culture alone because then I would talk to Cubans that would say, no, 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 please don't, don't call us Puerto Rican. We're not, we're not Puerto Rican. We're, we're Cuban because I'm a Cubano. And they would let me know that Cuban culture was different, and I'd meet Hondurans, and they would make it clear that Honduran culture was different, and Mexican culture was different. And, of course, if you're a gringo, it's just like there's Spanish culture and English culture, but there's all these different cultures. When I was in in the Middle East, I was in a country that was not um, friendly with the gospel and with Christianity, and I was at one point I was going to go preach somewhere, and they wanted us to preach in the streets, and so we went out to go preach in the streets at a seven o'clock meeting. I'm thinking, why are we preaching in the streets? Because there's machine guns everywhere, there's people everywhere, there's danger everywhere, and 
Uh, I said, well, what time do we start? They said 7 o'clock. So we went out to get ready. We're out there in the streets. 7 o'clock rolls around. We haven't started. 7.15, we hadn't started. 7.40, hadn't started. 8 o'clock, I kid you not, the 7 o'clock meeting started at 8.30 p.m. To which I said, wait, did we, was it at 7 o'clock? They said it was. You saw people begin to arrive. I said, yeah, but we didn't start until 7.30. They said, oh, that, that's how you Americans think. That's not how we, because time is different here in this country. If you've ever been to Africa, they'll say TIA, this is Africa. If you've ever been to Haiti, they'd say, this is Haiti. If you've ever been to another country where time is seen as a, as a different thing, they would let you know, oh, that's your culture that says that that's how time should be done. It's a, it's a cultural thing. In recent days, we've had a lot of talk about culture. There's the culture wars. There's... Some of us have come to find out there's such a thing as evangelical culture, which has been identified as toxic. There is, there's what's called purity culture, meaning in beyond the norms of what the Bible says about sexual purity, there's also a culture of purity that people have identified as purity culture. And of course, everyone's favorite whipping boy, there's cancel culture. There's this idea of of a, of a culture that cancels people. There's an oppression culture, a, an outrage culture, and there's a cancel culture. Now, culture describes the, the customs and the, and the speech and the songs and the mannerisms and the institutions and, and the ways of a people. It's, it's the ways and the thoughts. People all over the world can relate to God who would say, your, your ways are not my ways, your thoughts are not my thoughts. There's, there's a reality in which culture has to do with what your ways and your thoughts tend to be. Does your family have a certain culture? Yes, it does. I would argue that your organization has a culture. Your microchurch has a culture. This church has a culture. This city has a culture. The, the United States has a culture or many, oftentimes competing cultures that are there. That when you think about your organization or your classroom or your business, what is your culture as it relates to? What is your family's culture as it relates to gossip? How much gossip goes on or doesn't? What do, you do? what do you do with complaining in your organization? What about, what about harassment? Um, what about in your family? Do you, do you never miss a Gator game? Do you never miss travel soccer games? Do you never miss a travel basketball game? Would you, do, you, do you never miss a Yankees game? Do you, do you always connect with the children before they go to bed? That's a culture. Do you always go on date nights every week? That's a certain culture. Do you, do you always bring your kids to church? That's a certain culture or not. Do you, do one guy I talked to that recently just said that we, we always give to missions. Every paycheck we get, we give to missionaries. That's a certain culture. Now, now where I want to go with this today is I, I want to talk about culture for a few moments, but I need us to be honest about the fact that you do have a culture. You are in a culture. Most of us are just not aware of our culture, and most of us are very able to critique other people's cultures while calling normal our own. It's very easy to look at someone else's culture and say, why can't they be normal like? When in reality, trust me, travel to some other countries, your culture is quite abnormal to somebody. There's a culture. Now, we have a culture. The question is, A, are you honest about it? And B, are you intentional about it? Because what I have found is that most people have a culture by default, not by design. 
Most organizations have a culture that's just the, it's the default culture. Well, I, I was born into this culture, and, and I got raised in this culture, and I speak in this culture. I got my accent in this culture. I live out the no, no, no problem with that as long as you understand what that culture is and if that's, if that's where you want to be. And the reason this matters so much in a series on leadership is that when you are building something, you need to understand that culture... <laughs> You know, we, we talk about vision, and we talk about mission, and we talk about uh, values, and we talk about commitments, and we talk about plans, but just know this, culture eats vision for lunch every day of the week. You could have the greatest vision in the world if you've got a toxic culture. Toxic culture gobbles up healthy vision. Toxic culture gobbles up healthy ideas. Toxic culture gobbles up the best of intentions, because culture is power. Healthy cultures, they are not accidental, they are intentional. I'm going to say it again. Healthy nav ministries, healthy crew, healthy microchurches, they become intentional. Healthy families become intentional, not accidental. And here's where I want to go with this today. So, Mike, what is culture? Culture is many things, but, but at least it is what you teach and what you tolerate. Now, I want you to understand this, that culture, and we're going to see this with Nehemiah here, that culture is, it's what you teach, this is what you should do, and it's what you, what you tolerate. Now, when we come to Nehemiah in chapter 5 right now, we find that God's people, the Jews, have been oppressed. That ever since God called out his people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these, these Jewish people, they've been, they've been called by God even to this day. I mean, it's amazing that even as I speak right now, um, you got a nation like Germany that made reparations because of the Holocaust. And even now that anti-Semitism is on the rise all over Europe and Germany. I mean, it's, it's amazing how anti-Semitism has, has popped back up. But the Jewish people have seemingly always been, there's been an oppression that was there. And in a world of oppression, God called them out and said, I'm going to call you out. I will protect you. I will be your God. You will be my people. And he called them out and he said, this is what I'm going to do with you. I'm going to build something with you and I'm going to make you different. Everyone say different. I'm going to make you different. I'm going to give you my laws. I'm going to give you my customs. I'm going to give you my ways. And I'm going to show you the world around you. And when you see the world around you, this is what he said to the Jews. Don't be like them. Don't blend in. Don't go with the flow. Don't be like one of these fish that just goes where the water goes. I want you to be someone that can swim against the stream. I want you to be a part of creating my culture on this earth. I want it to be on the earth as it is in heaven. But it will not happen by accident. Because if you just go with the flow, if your culture is nothing but default, your culture will always reflect the norms of the world that is around you. And so we find that God began to, to call this people out. He says, I'm going to make you a, a different kind of culture. But they kept on falling. In fact, they would, they would fall back into, if you read uh, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, you find a pattern where God's people consistently fall back into the norms and the cultures of the people that are around them, literally to the point that when other people, would, other cultures, it was normal to burn their children to their gods, to eat their children, the, the Jewish people would up doing this at times and God finally says that's it I'm going to send you off into you will be displaced and they become refugees and they be sent out to these other places because of the things that are going on which is where we picked up the story of Nehemiah where Nehemiah 
has heard of God's people that, that had been displaced, but now they've begun to get regathered back. And we began in chapter one of Nehemiah where he got a burden. He's like, wait, it should not be like this. He heard that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down and that the culture was in shambles and the people were ashamed. And he gets a burden. He was burdened for his people in the name of God. And then he gets a vision to go rebuild that city. And then he gathers together people and he puts together a plan and he begins to implement the plan. And by the time we get to chapter five, the walls are halfway built and it looks like it's good and there's been opposition, but they're overcoming the opposition that's on the outside and it seems like things are so good. And when we come to this chapter, we now find at the beginning of this chapter that in verse one, there's a great outcry of the people. Now it's an interesting word, this word outcry. They're crying out because these less privileged people in Jerusalem are basically coming to Nehemiah and saying, Nehemiah, wait, 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 wait. We're building walls, and walls are great, but what good is a wall when you've got no food? Can I get an amen? We're building up a city, and you've got this vision for us to go rebuild these walls. We are literally selling our daughters and sons into slavery to pay for the mortgages on the loans when we cannot pay for our loans. We are becoming And there was an outcry. Now, it's an interesting word. It's a Hebrew word for outcry. It's the same word that got used in Egypt when God's people cried out because of the oppression of the Egyptians. Pharaoh and the Egyptians were oppressing them, and so they cried out. It's that, it's a, if, you, if you read the Bible, you'd be, like, you'd be reading this in Hebrew, like, wait, wait, I've heard this word before. This is the word that God's people, they did this when they were being oppressed by Pharaoh on the outside. But what we now find out is that they now have a problem that is not from those on the outside. They now have a problem from those on the inside. In the past, they were being oppressed and enslaved by Egyptians that were outside of them. Now they're being oppressed and exploited by their very own people. Amen. And it says in verse six that Nehemiah, he says, I was angry when I heard about this. Now, now folks, we, we, gotta, we gotta be really careful here because what, what we will not realize oftentimes is that many times the problem, it's easy to notice the cultural problems of Egypt. It's not always easy to notice the cultural problems of you. Be careful about thinking that all of your problems are someone else's culture. Sometimes it's you. Be careful when you think all of your problems are on the outside. Nehemiah got angry because he's like, wait, wait, wait. This problem of exploitation and wickedness and evil. Wait, I've noticed that it's a different skin, but it's the same culture of exploitation. You gotta be careful when you're watching because see, culture, it's gonna be what you teach and it's also what you tolerate and what we have now is Nehemiah stepping up and saying, this will not be tolerated. See, see what Nehemiah's about to do, Nehemiah's about to enforce the culture of heaven and, and I, wanna, I wanna let you see what he's doing. Nehemiah is not just criticizing culture, he's creating culture. And, and church, I, I wanna say something and I wanna say this strong. I, I don't wanna stay harsh, but I'm gonna say this strong. It is time for the people of Jesus to stop merely criticizing culture. We've got to go and create it. Leaders do not merely criticize the powers that be. They go create it. They create it. Leaders create 
culture. I'm going to say it again. Leaders, they don't just reflect it. They create it. When it goes wrong, they correct it. Leaders create culture. Good parents don't just say, oh, oh my God, oh, wait, what kind of music are my children listening to? Nothing I can do. What kind, man, what kind of porn is my kid looking at right now? Nothing I can do about this. Oh my gosh. Wait, look, how, look how my son talks to my wife. Nothing I can do. No, sir, there is something you can do about it. It's called be a dad. It's called be a mother. It's called don't just reflect the culture of the world that you live in. When your kids come home and say, why can't we be more like Egypt? You say, because we are not Egypt. Mom, why can't we do what everyone else does? Because we're not going to the same place everyone else is going. Leaders create culture. I'm, I'm, I'm calling for us today. Whatever ministry you lead, whatever home you lead, don't let it just happen by default. Create it by design. So what did Nehemiah's culture look like? I, I just want to point out three parts of Nehemiah's culture that, that are fascinating to me. There, there, there's, what, what might Nehemiah say to us about a kingdom culture? And I, I think one thing he might say is, first part of culture is, if you're going to have the right kind of culture, it needs to be a culture that you know how to do justly. Everyone say do justly. He, he's, he comes to them in verse 6. He says, I was angry when I heard their outcry. In verse 7, he says, I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials, and I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother, and I held a great assembly against them. Spike Lee would say it like this. Do the right thing. You got to do the right thing. That I was talking to a staff person at another church this week. That was, I was at a council meeting with some other pastors, and, and I was at this, this talking to a staff person at a church, and he was kind of disillusioned with his experience in ministry. And I said, what's the problem? And he's like, you know, we, we just do some things that are shady on our staff. Like, we do some things that are not right. And, it, and it's kind of troubling when you hear the preacher preach on Sunday, and they, they preach God's truth in the pulpit, but then the way we're doing things organizationally, that there's something kind of wrong with that. We're finding that right now as a lot of people are kind of being exposed um, on the internet. There's a lot of people going public with scandals of ministries and churches, international ministries, and, and men and women of God that have, have claimed one sort of truth or rightness, but lived out something else. And it was what made Malcolm X sick of the, the uh, church Christian culture that he saw, which was uh, a, a culture of people that were claiming an allegiance to Jesus, but they didn't live it. He's like, I'm sorry, you don't, you don't do what that which is right. And when you do not do that which is right, it, it embittered his soul. That's why we find here in this passage when there's this cry, there's an a cry of oppression that's coming out. But the context of Nehemiah, the, this entire book of Nehemiah, you need to know that Nehemiah is coming. Originally, Nehemiah was part of another book, which is the book of Ezra. Originally, the book of Ezra was one book. It was Ezra and Nehemiah together, and the book of Nehemiah came between Ezra chapter 6 and Ezra chapter 7. And what you find in the book of Ezra is that there's this regathering of God's people. They rebuild the temple. They restore the priesthood. And Ezra the priest gets up and he reads the law of God. He reads the rules of God. He reads the Bible to God's people. And they're really, I mean, just stunned by it because he's reading them all of these things among the law that Ezra read. Now, again, culture is what you teach and what you tolerate. It's what you teach and what you tolerate. Ezra had done the teaching. And part of the teaching was, in God's law, it says, you must not charge interest to your brothers. 
and yet they're charging interest to their brothers. God said, do not do this. And they're ch- now, I want to get real clear on something. In and of itself, it should not seem ridiculous that if someone lends you money that they get a little bit of interest out of it. In and of itself. So, so even when I'm, com- when I'm even broaching this subject right here, I, I want to let you know that, that I get it, that anywhere in the world that you go, if someone's going to charge a little bit of interest to his brothers, that should not be a big deal. So why was it a big deal? And here's the answer. The reason it's a big deal to charge interest to your brothers is because God said don't charge interest to your brothers. I know that's very rudimentary, but I need to make this super clear. Why is it wrong? Because God said so. I know this is very old school, retrograde, Mike, you need to stay more relevant, like you need to break it down into a, like if I, if I don't hear it on a TED talk, it's not applicable to my life. I don't care what any TED talk says, if God says it, that is it. Several years ago, we, as a church, we, we had a radio station, we sold the radio station to the Joy FM, and so we, we sold them that, and um, they came, basically, they, they offered us money, and they, they were able to get that channel here in town because we had a station, and so we sold that to them, and they're like, hey, we'll just, you know, just, we'll just pay you this back, and we, we, they gave us half down, and they gave us like um, half of it over the course of a 12-year period, and, it was at a, and we just gave them a very modest interest rate, and you know, not a big deal. At one point, though, I, I remember I was just going through. I was like, God, we, we just want to do what your will is. And I, and I was reading through the Bible in a year at one point and reading that passage where it says, if, if you've got a brother, you, you can't charge your brother interest. And I was like, man, is Joy FM owned by brothers? Like, are they Christians? I'm hoping it's just like a Christian thing that's maybe owned by, and I'm like, man, maybe they're not believers. And if they're not believers, I'll be honest with you, there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't charge interest to someone that's not a brother in the Lord, you know? You can. So I was like, oh, man, I didn't even want to make the call, but I, I went ahead and I called them. I'm, I asked for the, the higher-ups and everything. I'm like, hey, could I tell who's in charge? Like, who's the, who's the, and so I ended up having this, you know, finally talked like the head honcho. And I'm like, so tell me about the organization. He's like, oh, we just want to please the Lord. We just want to honor Jesus. I, I'm like, well, I know, but who owns everything? And, and what are they like, you know? And, it's like, oh, we just want to honor Jesus, and, and we just, we want to please him and all that we do. And I'm talking, I'm like, well, what about you? And he's like, oh, I, and he's like weeping on the phone, and he's like, so what did you call me about today? I said, well, I, I called you to tell you that, that uh, we're not going to charge any interest on the loan from here on out. And at this point, we had been, we had been collecting interest for like four or five years. He said, uh, what did you say? I said, well, we, we just can't, you know, the Bible's kind of clear, don't collect interest, blah, 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 so uh, we're, we're, we're just not, we're gonna, the loan is going to be interest-free. He said, can I get this in writing? I'm like, no, but we're going to do it, you know, and, uh, and on top of that, we're going to pay you back for all the interest that we've collected from you for these last five years. He, like, the phone drops. He's like, so uh, I've never had a call like this before. I'm like, well, you know, your brother... God bless you, brother, you know. <laughs> He's like, well, Micah, bless you? I'm like, amen, I, amen. We're going to count on that God's going God's to. Now, now, here's my point. That which is just is that which is right in the eyes of Jesus. 
Something is just, and I, I, I want to get real clear on this because when I'm saying do justly, I am not saying do American justice. I'm not saying do conservative justice. I'm not saying do liberal justice because even the word justice has been co-opted and it's been kidnapped by certain cultures. What I'm telling you is the justly I'm describing is just in the eyes of the judge, which puts us in a precarious position because I'm in a culture that's theme verse of Americana is judge not. And yet we want justice. Imagine, we want justice, which depends on a judge, but we do not want a judge. Or if we do want a judge, we want the judge to be the social media mob. Good luck with that one. Do justly, he would say, that what we do, it's, it's got to be a, it's got to be based, friends, I'm just going to say it. You've got to have a standard. Our standard is this word. Why must we remember the poor, even if you don't have a personality that remembers the poor? Because this word says, remember the poor. Why must we care about those who are mortgaging their homes and selling their kids in slavery? Because this book says, rescue those who are being drawn to the slaughter. That's what this book says. I don't get to pray about that. I get to respond to that. And I pray about it, of course. What I'm saying is by all means that there's got to be a culture. When Nehemiah saw what was happening in, in Nehemiah chapter 5, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, what he realized was we have adopted a culture that even though Ezra got up and has given us the teaching, we're not doing what the teaching said. And Nehemiah said, I will not tolerate a culture that says they believe God's word but does not do believe God's word. And friends, culture is what you teach, and it's what you tolerate. It's not an accident. Good culture is not an accident. It happens intentionally. It happens when someone gossips at the office, and you say, wait, wait, stop. No, no, stop. I'm not even going to let you finish your story. Like, yeah, but I already started. It's like, no, that's okay. You can stop because you're gossiping. Well, that's awkward. No, no, I know. We all do it. All of us have gossiped, but people have stopped me mid-tracks before, and I thank them for that, and you'll thank me one day. Just stop gossiping. That's what you're doing. Trust me, you do that one time, they will remember that convo. You're out on a date. Your boyfriend takes his hand, puts it in a place. It should not go. You get out of the car, and you go and call an Uber, and you call him when you get home. And he's like, well, what'd you do? It's like, you will never touch me like that again until we're married. I bet he'll get the point. Or have him come talk to Pastor Mike and the elders of your church. (laughs) We will also enforce the point as well. See, see, doing justly means that there's a standard. And, and And the problem I'm seeing in our culture at the moment is we've got a moving target. Like, hey, what is true? Well, For some people, this is true, and for some people, that is true, and for other people, no, no, what God says is, you base your truth on what I say is true. Truth is whatever God says about anything. That's true. That's what's true. Well, you've got your truth, I've got my truth. With all due respect, your truth is garbage, my truth is garbage, his truth is true. I know that sounds old school. I'm just saying, like, there's, I mean, next month there will be a different truth in America. Two years from now there will be a different truth. Seven years ago there was a different truth. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to stick with that which is eternally right in the eyes of God. Number one, do justly, he might say. I think the second thing he might say, though, is you're going to have to love mercy. In verse six it says, I was angry and I heard, when I heard the outcry. He's, he's ticked off. He's angry. 
And it says, I took, my version says, I took counsel with myself. One version says, I mastered my feelings and I reasoned with the nobles. I'm, when you get angry, you need to master your feelings to go reason with the nobles. I want you to notice when he was upset with the nobles, the officials, in other words, when he was upset with the leaders, he spoke to the leaders. When he was mad at them, he spoke to them. When you get mad at them, go sp- when you're mad at her, speak to When you're mad at him, speak to now, it's an interesting moment that we're in. I was reading a book. There was a guy was describing that um, at a conference. They're at this conference, big conference, thousands of people. And the dude is sitting like uh, right back here. Someone's sitting right here. They've got a phone. And the guy makes uh, like an inappropriate joke. He says something that's got double entendre, says an inappropriate joke, and it you know, falls flat. Oh, you shouldn't have done that. The person in front of him takes out their camera. They take a, put it on reverse. They take a, 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 a screenshot, uh, or not screenshot, but a reverse photo they get the guy's picture, post the guy's picture, it's got his name badge, post the guy's name, got his name and his name badge and his face, post it there on Twitter, post it there on social media, and it gives him a little hashtag for the conference so everyone would know it. By the end of the day, he was getting death threats and he had been fired from his job by the end of the day. Now, I, I want to be careful on what I'm about to say because I, I want to get clear about something when we use words like cancel culture, it is my estimation that cancel culture, like the roots of cancel culture are actually good and redemptive, namely people that have not had voices finally get to use a voice and call people to account that have traditionally never had to be accountable for what they do. That's where cancel culture has, that's where it came from. Cancel culture comes from this idea that that people that are powerless finally get some semblance of power and get to do a boycott or get to say something. And when you you could never get to the powers that be and the powers that be that had no accountability to bring exploitation and oppression, they get to go ahead and do that unchecked. I'm in favor of people being able to speak truth to power to bring justice in situations where it does not belong. I want to get super clear. That is a good thing. The problem is that the nature of humanity is that good things without God always get twisted. And when you get a problem with a person that makes a comment, Jesus said, this is how you handle it. You got a problem with him, you go to him. And you go to him one on one. Now you could say, well, what does that do? I'll tell you what it does in a second, personally. And if he doesn't listen, then the Bible says there's another thing you do. It does not say go post on social media and say, here's his address. Go find him. Burn his house down. Get him fired. Okay, I I realize that's like the cool thing to do. But it's Jesus. Again, I'm going to go with Jesus. I'm not going with my culture. I'm going with Jesus the Christ, not the United States of the America. I'm going with Jesus Christ, all right? If he won't listen, then he says you take a witness that also knows what the heaven they're talking about, and two people come and say, hey, we both saw this. This is what you should do. If he still won't repent, it says then you take him before the whole church. And you go before the leaders of the church and say, hey, he will not repent. And then the church casts him out, cancels him. So the Bible talks about canceling the right way. Okay, you got that? I know this very seriously. When I was in college, I was a sophomore. And I was not as godly as I needed to be with females. And there was one female that I was um, 
being inappropriate with, you know? Meaning, I was, I was kissing her, but I didn't really have intentions for her. And I was stirring up her heart, let's say, to, you know, whatever. And so one of my friends like, hey, man, are, do, you, like, do you have long-term aspirations for her? I'm like, no, not really. He's like, well, then what are you doing? I'm like, man, I don't know. Just, I, that's just what you do. I mean, you're in America. You, like, you, know, you test drive a bunch of cars before you, whatever. You know, you kick the tires. What, I mean, I'm, all I did was kiss her, you know. And he's like, hey, man, you're, like, she's, kissing people gets them attached. I'm like, well, no, man, haven't you heard? A kiss is just a kiss. It's like, is that in the Bible? It's like, well, no, it's in something. He's like, man, you need to stop that. Repent. I'm like, whatever, you know. I didn't. I'd keep on letting her come over to my dorm, whatever, and one day I got a knock on my dorm room door, and it was my friend with another friend. And we had all, like, the bad thing about becoming disciples is that you're all reading the same Bible, and everyone's taking it literally. You know, those, you, know you haven't been saved long, you haven't been a Christian long enough to be like, that's not what Jesus meant. We all assumed everything Jesus said he meant it. I was like, hey, what's up, guys? They said, uh, we are approaching you in the name of the Lord. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what does that mean, you know? He's like, you might want to sit down. And he says, Mike, uh, I came to you before, and I counseled you that you needed to stop this, and you have not repented, so I'm now bringing a witness. I'm like, I just read this in Matthew. You're seriously doing this? They're like, yes. In fact, the next step is if you will not repent, and they went to a different church, we will go to your pastor, Pastor Lastinger, we will go to the leaders of your church and they're gonna have to cast you out. I'm like, I repent, I repent, I repent right now in Jesus' name, I totally repent. I will never kiss her again, I never did. I never did. And I remembered that, I mean, that informed, <laughs> that informed, now, now, you could call that whatever you want, I'll tell you what that was to me. That was merciful to me, that God would give me the mercy of those people coming and approaching me and bringing that to me. Now, I want you to contrast that, because what I want you to see is this, that I'm not calling for a culture of mercy devoid of truth. God's culture is both truthful and just, but it is merciful and gracious in how we carry it out. You and me long for justice, but you and me cannot handle justice without mercy. We've got to have grace and mercy. Years ago, I took Samara and Misha, my two, you know, daughter, my two oldest daughters, to St. Augustine just for a little trip. And I remember we were staying at this little hotel, and, and at night, someone had played a prank on the woman that was at the front desk, and they convinced her to pull the fire alarm. And so she'd pulled the fire alarm at three in the morning and the whole, all, the whole hotel was out. We all went down there and everyone is furious and they're angry. And I remember the mob began to rage when they started demanding her name. They were demanding that she be fired. When everyone figured out we could maybe get her fired and all of us could get our money back. For us to be able to get a free night, everyone's kind of like, you know, kind of gathering the people up. Would you like a free night? I think we could. We just got to make them convinced this woman deserves. And they were merciless with this woman who at now 3 o'clock in the morning, who had made a very bad mistake, was now on the verge. Just, just afraid. For the sake of one, people were willing to, tr people living in a culture, building a culture of what you teach and what you tolerate. I will get, you can't. And by the way, this cancel culture thing, the conservatives have tried to cancel Disney over the years. Liberals are going to try to ca cancel someone that's going to, you know, teach biblical ethics of, of sexuality. It's like, I'm canceling, is canceling mercilessly. That's not a conservative or liberal thing. It is a human thing. It's a human thing, which is why the, having a culture that says, wait a minute, we are going to love mercy. We're going to love mercy.
It's got to be a culture of truth, but it's got to be a culture of kindness and mercy where we go to the people. And I love what it says here when, when he did this. He says, you're exacting interest. And I said to them, we, as far as we're able, have, have bought back our Jewish brothers and sisters, sold them to the nations, but you even sell them to your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and they could not find a word to say. That's what God's law does, by the way. The Bible says in Galatians that the law of God stops people's mouth. This is why we've got to use God's law, but we've got to do it with mercy. It stopped their mouth. So I said, the thing that you're doing, verse 9, it's not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God? Oh, church, I get it. Right now, everyone's walking in the fear of the Twitter mob. People are walking in the fear of, of whatever, the, whatever your political whatever is. The fear of what will my friends think. The fear of what will my parents think. I long to be a part of a culture that fears only one, and that is God. Because then you do what you do, and you please him, and you're like, listen, for, friends, let me make this clear. If you're really pleasing Jesus, somebody in this world's cultures will always be ticked off at you. In this world, you will have trouble. If everyone on social media likes you, you are not representing Jesus. Just to be clear, you're like, well, then I'm not going to go on social media. That might be a word of wisdom. Because I'll, so I'll watch people. They want to get bold when they say something. And then when, when someone responds or someone fights back or pushes back, like, oh, my, why is everybody always picking on me? Well, well be, because you, you might have had a spirit of stupid all over your post. <laughs> you post something stupid that was 80% good, 20% off, and then you're surprised when someone's pushing back on your 20. All I got to say is this. Don't, if you fear men, fear humans, fear uh, liberals, conservatives, fear whoever, you don't want to be in those spaces. Go fear the Lord. Moreover, verse 10, he says, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and great. Let us abandon the exacting of interest. He said, stop, let's stop this. And then he says, watch, verse 11. Return to them this very day their fields and their vineyards. Oh, return, verse 12. Then they said, and this is what I love. He's, he's telling them what to do. And they said, verse 12. We will. We will restore these, and we will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. He gives them a chance to repent, and they repent. Oh, oh, I love mercy. Oh, oh, I love, I love the mercy that I, that I see. He, he gives them a chance. Friends, there are some of you that are here today, and I'm not going to call you out in front of everyone, but I'm going to use the word. You might need to repent. Culture is going to be what you teach and what you tolerate. And, and Jesus, he, he teaches his way, but he, he tolerates nothing but the right way. But he does it with mercy. And, and I think the third thing that Nehemiah might say is, I want you to do justly, love mercy. But then I think he would say, you're to walk humbly with your God. Verse 14, he says, moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd of Artaxerxes, the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. I know that's not a big deal if you didn't read this in one sitting, but Nehemiah is actually the governor, and we're just finding the name drop now. He's the governor. He's the man. He's the stuff. He's got the power. He's got the authority. But up until now, the only thing you even know about him is I was a cupbearer to the king. I was a servant. 
several years ago, I went to Jacksonville, and I, I, there was this church that I respected, and I was very impressed with it. And so I, I walked in. I, I snuck into the, to the room, the, to their sanctuary. I snuck in there, and I was kind of looking around where I shouldn't have been looking, but I just snuck around, and I saw the janitor. And, uh, and I went to the janitor. I'm like, so tell me about this place. You know, and he's kind of telling me. And I said, well, tell me about the pastor. I begin to ask him these questions. I said, so the pastor, is he legit? He's like, ah. Oh. Most of the time. I mean, he's got some inconsistencies, but he's, you know, for the most part. I'm like, oh, tell me about these inconsistencies, you know. And I'm kind of asking him about whatever, you know. So I had this conversation, but it it was nice. I ended up walking out, ended up seeing somebody else. And I said, yeah, I was in there. And they said, oh, really? Whoa, you were in there? It's like, with him? I said, yeah. I said, "Uh, you met the janitor? They said, janitor? It's not the janitor. That's the pastor. (laughs) I said, I said, oh, snap. There's something pretty cool about someone that's got a title that they don't tell you about. It reminds me of a king that was born in a manger. There's something wild about having all of the power and all of the authority, but you don't flaunt it. Kind of reminds me of a leader that would be falsely accused and he would not answer in return. There, there's something about someone that's actually all-powerful, and yet people struggle with, well, is he really the Lord? Is he really God? Because if he was, wouldn't he have made it way more obvious? And the answer is, Jesus would have made it way more obvious if that was not against his nature, which is that he's humble. That strutting does not befit him, because his kingdom doesn't go like that. I realize that the cultures of this world are built on strutting and pomp and circumstance, but his kingdom was built on a tree where he shed his blood in a tomb that he borrowed for less than 72 hours. Because this kingdom is a different kind of a kingdom. Nehemiah was a leader that he says... I didn't take the food allowance that was given me. In fact, down in verse 18, it says, Yet for all of this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because of the service that was too heavy on the people. In other words, all those years I was a governor, I had all of these rights, but I did not consider the position of governorship something to be grasped. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant, even a bond servant, even just a normal person. He did not grab all of the benefits, all the prerogatives, all of the bennies that came his way. He didn't grab all those benefits because he was walking in humility. Mike, Mike how do you, what do you want us to do? If you're a leader, this is what I want you to do. I want you to not just critique the culture that we're in. I want you to create a new culture. And I want you to look at the culture of Nehemiah, and I want you to look at the culture of the kingdom of heaven, which is one that does justly and loves mercy and walks humbly. And I want you to ask yourself, are you willing and honest and able and brave enough to take you or your family or your culture and take it to the mirror and look in the mirror and say, how does, and friends, let me just be real clear about this. It's always easy to tell other people's cultures they need to repent. But are you willing to tell you and your culture you might need to repent? 
Americans, I just want to ask you, I know you love your country. I know we love our country. Friends, I wouldn't rather live in any other country. You are aware that there are ways, there are ways in thinking in our nation that go contrary to God's justice or God's mercy or God's humility. You are aware that whatever ethnicity you are, there are probably ways and thoughts that go against God's justice and God's mercy and God's humility. My question is, do you have the guts to not just have your culture by default, but do you have the strength, the resolve to look in the mirror and say, wait, in the areas where my culture violates his culture, I choose to go with his culture. Watch, you don't have to stop being white, black, Hispanic, Asian. You don't have to stop being your culture. You do have to bow your culture to his. You don't have to stop being an American. You don't have to hate America. You don't have to burn a flag. You do have to bow your whatever to his culture. You know what discipleship is? Discipleship is culture creation. Jesus said, go make disciples, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you to do. In other words, don't just teach them. Teach them to observe. Uh, Microchurches, your microchurch has, if your microchurch has a culture that tolerates gossip, repent. If your microchurch has a culture of singles that hook up in the name of where we're lonely, repent. If your classroom has a culture that tolerates bullies getting by bullying, it's time, teachers, to get up and don't just critique the culture, bullying's wrong. Recreate the culture. Do not even tolerate such things. In a culture right now where everyone's wondering, there's one culture, there's this culture, and that, I'm asking, can we come and bring the kingdom of God culture on the earth as it is in heaven, doing justly and loving mercy and walking? I remember as a youth pastor, there was this kid that came to me and he was studying, and I actually have one of my old youth that's here, Elizabeth, formerly Cook, is in the house, and at Bud and Betty, you need to see Elizabeth who's over here, but it was back in her days, and there was this one student that came up to me as a youth pastor, and he's like, man, I just, they tell me in school, I'm nothing but the product of evolution, which is just nothing but randomness, which is nothing but just random nothingness. Here I am, the product of random nothingness, because I was asking, why are you just wasting your life? He's like, I'm, my life is random anyway, to which I said, oh, son, you are not random. You were not created by random processes. You were created by a designer made in the image of God. He says, what? I said, the very fingerprints of God are on your soul. You can't shake this. You are not random. You've got more purpose than you can even fathom. Because what happens is in the world that we live, there's a, a tendency to say, well, what will be will be. Que sera, sera. That, that it's all random anyway. It's all by default. And that's what we've got leaders doing. Say, well, this is how it is. Hey, leaders, stop doing culture by default and start doing culture by design. You are made in the image of the one that puts his hands on things, and the things he puts his hands on, they get made in his image. Let's go form a culture in the image of our designer. What do you say? Let me just close it out. Jesus is the leader of all the leaders of all the leaders. Jesus is the king of all the kings, of all the kings. Jesus is the teacher of all the teachers. He is the father of all the fathers. He is the boss of all the bosses. He's the Nehemiah of all the Nehemiahs. And what did Jesus do? He, he taught, 
and he tolerated. With the culture he created, that leaders, it's what they teach and it's what they tolerate. He gives us a, a sermon on the mount where he says, blessed are those who come humbly. They're poor in spirit. They're meek. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. And in a world of anti-peace, in a world of anti-purity, and in a world of anti-humility, Jesus comes and teaches and then he does not tolerate when he comes to places where he goes to preach to Samaritans that reject him. And, and Peter says, shall we call down fire from heaven? But he won't tolerate that. He says, do you know what kingdom you're of? That's not what kingdom we're from, man. We, we didn't come to destroy people. I came to save people. And those Samaritans might not get it now, but they might get it next week. And I'm not calling to bring down fire. I'm calling to save people from fire, Peter. That's what I'm about. And he goes ultimately on a cross because the reality about you and your family and your business and your classroom and your culture is that every culture on planet Earth has a virus called sin. Even its best parts of your family, they're going to get twisted with sin. Which is why we needed someone that could do something about the virus. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He didn't just teach us. He paid the penalty. He didn't just not tolerate sin. He obliterated its effects on the cross of Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith in him, he changes you. And he'll transform you. And he'll begin to redeem your Puerto Rican culture, your American culture, your family culture, your white culture, black culture, whatever culture, whatever culture you have. He'll, when G Jesus completes in the best way every culture there ever was, every family there ever was, every personality there ever was, that when you and Jesus disagree, go ahead and agree with him and watch how he'll change you forever. But there's some of you that the person you need to lead right now is you. There are some of you that are listening to me right now and Jesus Christ is not your Lord. And you need to make the leadership shift of letting him become your leader. There are some of you that are listening to me right now that you've never surrendered your heart to him. And I don't know what it is in your life that he would say, hey, that is not right. M maybe you are exploiting people. Maybe, maybe you are sleeping with people you ought not sleep with and you're doing what the Bible says, defrauding them. Maybe you're lying. Maybe you are the gossip. Maybe whatever your stuff is, maybe you need to turn to him today and call him the Lord and give him the reins and let him be the leader. If you've never let Jesus be your leader, I want you to let him be your leader today. If you've never called out to him to become your leader, I want you to say, Jesus, be my leader, be my forgiver, and be my very best friend. There is something potent that happens when you do what they did in this chapter. You're right. Let your mouth be stopped. Because the wages of sin, it's death. But the gift of God is eternal life.